Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. It was a week where horse racing was rarely out of the headlines and those headlines were almost exclusively for the wrong reasons. This was the week when Robbie Dunn was found guilty on four charges of bullying and harassing fellow rider Bryony Frost. But that's really only the start of it. What it then prompted was a bitter war of words amongst some of racing's higher powers and a debate about whether the culture in the weighing room was indeed, as Louis Weston QC described it, rancid a word that seemed to inflame virtually every member of the Professional Jockeys Association, or whether this was a friendly, warm and supportive place, and one that was suitable to bring new generations of riders into the sport. To that end, we're going to start today by talking to the Chief Executive of the Professional Jockeys Association, who hit back strongly when the Dunn verdict was read down. Paul Struthers is on the line now. Morning, Paul. Good morning, Nick. Sorry I can't join you in the studio. Not at all. Thank you for joining us. It's good to have you with us. Um, first of all, you, you hit back with a very strong statement in the immediate aftermath of, of Robbie Dunn's charges. And at the beginning of the third paragraph, you said, Bryony felt bullied. Do you concede now that Bryony didn't just feel bullied, she was bullied? Yes, we, we do accept the disciplinary panel's judgment on that and their decision that, that she was the challenge, Nick, and, it, and, and, and these were really unique circumstances. It's the first time we've had a case like this that has had involving bullying allegations that pit, pitted one member against another. And we, we have a, a, a job to support both. And we had one member making very serious allegations. Um, and we had another member maintaining their innocence of all bar one of them. So we were, we were trying to find the words that walked that tightrope. And, 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 and we understand why um, it has caused the issues that it's had, and that's why we do want to make clear that we, we do accept the disciplinary panel's finding that Bryony was bullied and the language used was, was, was deeply and grossly inappropriate. So you, you're accepting, just for clarity, you're accepting that you were wrong on, um, on Thursday to say Bryony felt bullied. You should have said Bryony was bullied. We'll just clear that up. I think we, we certainly accept that we could have phrased it differently. I think 
the as I say, we, there is that balance, Nick, between the two polar opposite positions of, of the individuals involved in this case. Um, but yes. Paul, have you or, or has anyone from the Professional Jockeys Association sought to reach out or talk to Brani Frost this week? We certainly with um, the processes we put in place and we've learned an awful lot from this process. You know, as I say, this is the first time we've been through this. Um, but certainly um, through Mick Fitzgerald, we, who is a board member, he is Bryony's coach. Um, we have made sure that, that there has been someone with a role at the PJA that has been in touch with Bryony. We have offered support at times, at numerous times throughout this. It has been, it has been challenging. I think there are certain unique challenges in this particular set of circumstances. I think there are certainly things we've learned. There are things we could have done better. Bryony is a very valued member of the PJA. She has been through an awful time. She has shown great courage. I am sure that Bryony feels we haven't supported her. I acknowledge that. I know we have to do better. I know there are things we, in hindsight, could have done differently. What, Paul, what um, should you have done that you didn't do in the early stages of this case? If you could have your time again, what would you have done? If I could have my time again, it, it, obviously I've got to be super cautious. This is this is a, a, a case that, that might go to appeal. I don't know. Um, and I don't, I don't think it's appropriate to go into absolute detail about the PJA's processes in individual cases and what did and didn't happen. I certainly, you know, we didn't know about this until some way down the line of, of the process already starting and an okay, investigation okay, that's, already that, ongoing. That's, that's quite an interesting but, but, point. Let me, let me just, just take that. I understand what you're saying about the case and that you, there are some specifics you can't get into if, if Robbie Dunn is going to appeal. Let me take you right back then to the, when you learnt that, that Bryony Frost had made an official complaint to the British Horse Racing Authority and you, the PJA, were not aware of that at the time. How did that make you feel as the chief executive of the trade body that one of your members didn't have the confidence in you to come forward and say, please help me and sort this out. How does that make you feel? It makes us reflect, Nick. It makes us reflect on why that was the case. Uh, we don't know at this stage. There clearly wasn't um, that trust there between the PJA and Bryony. Uh, we need to reflect on that. We will need to learn from that. We will need to learn and see what it is we can do to make sure that is the case. We certainly are aware that there are others who have felt that about the PJA and have trusted us. We don't criticise Bryony in the slightest for going to the BHA. That is absolutely someone's right. I think when we look back, Nick, so around this time, there was no, we didn't have a code of conduct. That is on me. That is my fault. We did not have a code of conduct. when. When we became aware of this and when we started to become aware of, 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 of a bit more detail and where this was going, uh, we appointed John Holmes as chairman on the 1st of December last year. And John asked, did we have a code of conduct? And when I told him no, John was very disappointed that we didn't. 
and we immediately got to work on producing one. And that code of conduct is really important. Now, it is just our code of conduct, um, but it is an important one. When, when we were producing that code of conduct, Nick, and writing it, we were looking across sport and across other walks of life for, for models we could use. And we, frankly, we were struggling to find one anywhere in, in other player associations, in governing bodies, rules. Um, so, and there, and there wasn't one for the sport under the rules and regulations. That doesn't excuse us for not having one, and we should have had one before. We have one now. We, it sets out clearly the standards of behaviour that we expect from the members. It sets out clearly what can happen, what should happen, what can happen, where the reporting channels are, uh, when behaviours fall short of that code of conduct. Um, that is a PJA code of conduct. The BHA have been working on their own code of conduct that will be an industry-wide code of conduct yeah. that will come into the rules of racing that will then have regulatory backing to them. Nick, oh, this is this is, all, this is this is all excellent. It's all good stuff, even if it's even if it's after after the fact. But I want to get back to this. I want to get back to the to the matter at hand. Um, you said in your press release, we did not call for the matter to be brought to a close to try and sweep the matter under the carpet. Again, if you could have your time again, would you have changed that? Would you have said, yep, this case must go ahead and shown adequate and appropriate support to both members involved rather than calling for the, for the matter to be closed? It, it wasn't a good look. The Professional Jockeys Association saying we don't want this case to happen. I understand that. I understand that. And I understand why people believe that. Um, maybe maybe it was an error. Maybe it was. Um, and it would certainly have made life easier had we not made that call. I think, and I can't go into any detail, and it's, it's, it's as I say, we accept the panel's decision. Um, I think there are things about the process this in particular in this case. But I think it is an issue we have had for some time about the process that, that licensed individuals face and and concerns about the process. But you, but you, said, you, said, you said that a fair hearing was impossible. Do you, do you believe that Robbie Dunn has had a fair hearing now? Was it a fair hearing? I think undoubtedly the panel conducted a process that was as fair as it could be, Nick, absolutely. So he did um, have a fair hearing? I, 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 the, the problem we have, and I know this is unpopular, the problem we have, we don't think the whole process is fair. Um, but regardless of that, Nick, regardless of that, and I do want to make this clear, we do accept the panel's verdict. So what don't you think was fair? We're taking advice, Nick, on, on, on elements of the entire disciplinary process. You know, this is, this is a case. And look, there are reasons we said that, that we put in our press statement, Nick. And as you said at the top of the programme, on Thursday, when we issued our statement, we were, we were issuing that statement against the background 
of the BHA's representative in closing referring to the weighing room as rancid and sour, and of the panel concluding that there were serious issues with the weighing room culture that were deep-rooted and coercive. Um, and I think that that caused that caused a lot of damage. Now, now it's been it's good and it's great and it's welcomed that Julie Harrington has stepped back from that. Um, it was still said by the BHA's representative, um, who who you would think was acting in, under instruction, but may not have been. But that really inflamed tensions and. If, if we further inflamed them, which we did, and I know we did, and we were trying to balance lots of different things that I don't want to, even though it, some would argue it's too late, I don't want to further inflame that situation. Uh, as I say, there, there are- but that's, but that's exactly what happened. When, when, I, when I read your press release, and you know, I accept an awful lot of the things that you've tried to do, but that's exactly what you were doing was inflaming the situation. You were fighting fire with fire. I know. I know, but it was so, so damaging. But you, you felt that the language used was sufficiently damaging to your membership that you had to come out fighting on, on their behalf. But you're, by doing that, it's I think by doing that, Nick, by, but by doing that, Nick, I do understand by doing that, and we felt we had to do that. Look, I, I, don't, I don't do this job because I think I am trying to cover up a culture in the weighing room that is awful. We know everything is not perfect. If we thought things were perfect, we wouldn't have put in place our code of conduct. There, is, there are definitely things that need to change. There are definitely things that need to change, but that was so, inflammatory so inflammatory that we that it did cause us a major issue now i do accept nick and i that i certainly apologize from a personal perspective that our state my statement our statement did further inflame things and detracted from what Bryony had been through, what the panel found that she'd suffered, and she has, you know, she's been bullied. And I think the, it, it was just, yeah, if, if we had to do what we did, I, but I, I do understand that it, it, made a, it made a bad situation where there were no winners. Paul, it certainly I... didn't improve it. I want to know now from you what you are going to do personally to build bridges with Bryony Frost. And I want to know how you're going to make the weighing room a better place for all your members. We will be reaching out to Bryony. We need to understand, we need to apologise if, if, if undoubtedly that, that, that we could have done things differently. We need to work with the BHA. We need to work with jockeys to foster a more respectful culture. It is a dangerous sport. Racing is a tough sport. I think there are 
I don't think racing needs to be as tough as it is. I think it is tough across the board. It's tough for trainers. It is tough for racing staff. It is tough for jockeys. I know there are, there's a jockey training and development strategy where there are key recommendations in there to help improve this. We've introduced the code of conduct. We've changed our structure. Um, we, we do, so there are things you, there are laws you cannot overstep. We need to, and we have done this already, Nick, but we need to make sure that there is significant improvement that the sport is the culture. Some we don't think is as any close as has been made at. Um, but there's work to do. I think Ray, I, I saw Anna very opinion in the day out today. She was right. Racing needs more. All of racing needs to get together more and we need to make sure this doesn't happen again paul um we are we have lost you sadly in, in through that last answer but i think we got the gist of what you were saying uh, i know you now have to go and that was our time anyway so i appreciate your time this morning thank you very much nick sorry if the connection was bad N not at all thank you very much i think we got the gist of we got the gist of what uh, what Paul was saying in that last answer. And of course, we got the important concessions earlier in the interview. The PJA now accept that they should have said Brani was bullied. They are going to seek, as he put it, to reach out to her to build those bridges. And indeed, they have accepted that the statement that they put out on Thursday further inflamed the situation, but they felt compelled to do so. So my thanks to Paul Struthers. We'll be hearing from Tim Naylor. Uh, Director of Integrity at the British Horse Racing Authority a little later in the programme. Maddie Playle from the Racing Post is alongside me. Morning, Maddie. Morning, Nick. Uh, what did you make of um, what Paul Struthers had to say? Yes, um, it's been a tumultuous week, hasn't it? Um, and I think it's correct that he's come out and said, you know, this is not feeling that Bryony was bullied. Um, we heard that in the hearing she was. Um, and I think that was a very, very key distinction to make. Um, she was bullied. We accept that. And we now have to look at what's failed along the way and what we can do in the future to make sure this doesn't happen again. I mean, clearly there are areas of process that Paul Struthers didn't want to be drawn into. But you don't have to be a genius to infer that still the PJA has major reservations about some of the processes that took place in this case, even if they accept the result as being a fair one. Yes. Um, and, you know, they weren't aware of this case, as Paul said initially. Um, and then now, a lot has happened in the last week, hasn't it, in, in reacting to this story. And it was very much, as you said, fighting fire with fire and inflammatory. And I just wonder if the PGA would have been able to go back in time. They maybe thought that taking a slightly different path mm. would have been a wiser way to go when considering all of their members and that they also represent Bryony Frost Correct. as well. Exactly, which was a, a point that Paul was recognising, but um, maybe a little later than, than ideal. Um, Pete Scargill, your Racing Post colleague, has sat through every bit of this evidence and, and is with us now. Uh, morning, Peter. 
Morning, Nick. Nice to see you. Yeah, you too. Um, I, I don't know if you could you could hear what what Paul Struthers was was saying there. Um, it, it was a it was a very interesting twist and turn of events this took after the sentencing was handed down. It was extraordinary, Nick. Yeah, you, you'd have thought um, after something as dramatic as what happened to Robbie Dunn, that would almost be the story in itself. But you no, know, the um, the PGA's reaction, both their initial statement and then the the statement from the anonymous female jockeys, um, rather turbocharged things. It was good to see Paul striking a somewhat more conciliatory tone this morning. But um, there's definitely elements within the within the weighing room that aren't convinced by what's happened at all, um, not least probably done by the sounds of it. Where do you think this is going to go now? Are you, are you anticipating an appeal? That seems to be the case, Nick. Yeah, um, that was the, the initial reaction straight after the, the hearing from, um, from Dunn's legal team. I mean, at no point during the, during the hearing did he really um, back down from his position. You know, he, he remained quite angry. Um, he remained um, of the position that was you know, Bryony Frost riding wasn't right. Her behaviour wasn't what he, what he thought it should be. So, um, I mean, even his apology issue through... Um, Roderick Moore, his um, his legal representative, said, you know, Robbie would like to apologise for where the panel found that he'd fallen down rather than his own, so I'm, I'm sorry for what I did. So I can't see how he he won't appeal, and whether it's the, the overall charges or whether it's the, the length of the ban, I mean, that would be, it would be a bit of a, a change from, from where we were, certainly the last couple of days anyway. I mean, the defence was, was interesting. Peter, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, it strikes me, and I didn't sit through every bit of this like you did, but it strikes me that they bet the house on contextualising Robbie Dunn's conduct um, as part of weighing room culture. So therefore, when the panel rejected that as a defence, weighing room culture was going to come down with him. So do you agree with me that... It, They've almost been architects of their own downfall in that regard. Yeah, I mean, that's certainly true. Um, trying to contextualise and normalise his behaviour was one of them. And they also tried to boil it down to, to two incidents, basically uh, an incident at Stratford, uh, which was the worrying moment in the fence attendant one people probably remember it best as, and the southern incident where he threatened to put her through the wing. So, um, no, they had a parade of... of Jockeys, um, Richard Johnson, Tom Scudamore, uh, Nicola Boyneville, Ben Post. Um, uh, and then they they just, all of them, and then the valets as well, they were all just saying, look, this happens. Uh, it was bickering. Uh, people say we're going to put each other through the wing, but we don't mean it. We've never seen it happen. Um, you know, all, all of this kind of made you think, well, it's not really right, even if it's what happens. And, and clearly there were... It was the manner in which Robbie Dunn delivered his his threats to Bryony Frost that, that tipped her over the edge. Um, there were certain elements they tried to kind of paint her as a bit bit feeble, a bit weak, a bit kind of snowflakey as well, um, which I thought was was rather unfair. She was she was very good in her evidence, um, and clearly the subtle incident, as we'll call it, and the attempted reconciliation at Kempton. I mean, they they deeply affected her. She was she was quite robust in her evidence, but both of those occasions she got quite upset. You know, it was. It was stark, the, the effect it had had on her. This is getting more entrenched, isn't it? This is just getting more and more entrenched. And that, that I think, is the sad thing. 
Robbie Dunn's brother David has, has taken to his social media page this morning, I, I don't know if you've seen it, uh, uh, about an hour ago, and he starts his post. I'm not going to read it all because I, there, there's stuff in here that is you know, potentially fairly close to the edge legally, but he starts with it's about time somebody from the Robbie Dunn side stepped up and told the truth and stopped pandering around in case they got into trouble with the authorities. Well, he certainly doesn't pander, pander around at all. Do you get the feeling that there's an awful lot that was unsaid in this case, that people wanted to say but felt that they couldn't? No, not, not particularly. Um, there, there, was, there were certain references made by the defence um, about um, you know, Bryony Frost's riding style and how this was, this was what, what inflamed um, Robbie Dunn and you know plenty of other jockeys um, were frustrated by this. Um, they spent very little time on it, really, in their evidence. Um, they just say, I mean, Dunn was so strong in his position um, throughout. I mean, he, he they went through replays of certain races, um, and he was sort of told off by by Brian Barker, the chair of the panel, for not doing what he was asked. He was asked to talk through his rides, and, and he spent a lot of the time. Um, saying how Bryony Frost was renowned for doing this and she shouldn't be doing that, you know, there was a there was an annoyance there, um, and and there was a there was a comment he made here. I just I've just noted down around Hannah Welch, um, who you know gave evidence about a about an incident that that happened at Chepstow in 2018, and, and Dunn said, "Do you think people like Richard Johnson, Tom Skeeter, or Noel Freely would stand around if I was speaking to someone for a minute?" sharing swearing and shouting um it didn't happen so he he he's so strong in his position that when they found so unequivocally against him you can understand why you know they feel there's been a a misreporting or a campaign against them or you know it wasn't it wasn't treated properly because it was leaked um there was just as as paul struther said himself they were so polar opposite the two camps there, you know, there, was, there was no meeting in the middle and no real attempt to meet in the middle at any point. Didn't the, the panel ultimately, Pete, just boil this down, boil this right down, try to shut out all that surround and say, this is about you bullying you. We believe you to be a credible witness and we think you're not taking this seriously enough. End. That's how I take it, Nick. And there's a lot of what's been lost in the subsequent um, discussion. Obviously, a lot of focus on what um, Louis Weston said in his in his closing statement. Uh, a lot of focus on what um, the PJA said. Um, some focus on on the, on the BHA trying to steer the ship back on course. Um, now, this was this was a case against Robbie Dunn. Um, Bryony Frost gave evidence, and she obviously made the complaints. And and in the end. Dunn was found to be a not not particularly credible witness, um, and the panel the panel could couldn't really find anything other than Bryony Frost. Really, when you when you sat through it, it was um, it was a it was a, a small case in the sense of of the, the minutia of it, but it's obviously it's expanded and and people are getting stuck into all sorts of things about it now. I mean, there is clearly the, this um, impasse between the BHA and the PGA that's got to be worked out. I mean, Paul Struthers was trying to. You know, sound a slightly more more conciliatory conciliatory note there. The BHA have got some responsibilities though to consider, haven't they? Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, look, it's um, it took too long to get to 
to get to to trial as it were i appreciate there were legal arguments and, and what have you that had to take place and these things can drag out because um that's the nature of that's the nature of legal discussions um you know there were there were certainly two leaks um you know, there was the one to the mail on sunday and there was the one to to david walsh so it it didn't it took too long um it wasn't particularly well handled in that sense and it was allowed to to fester and get to a position where everyone was so revved up about it by a by the time it happens um you know it, it, it caused it caused its own problems uh peter thanks so much thank you nick peter scargill who was there for yeah every bit of that that hearing um, via Zoom, Maddie. And I know it was quite challenging, I think, for, for all the people who were trying to follow it, because, you know, as we've seen today, connections aren't always clear. You can't pick up every word that was said. But I think we got a pretty, pretty full idea of how this, how this boiled down. Um, you made an interesting point to me earlier on about the BHA and that description, that rancid, that came mm. from Louis Weston, their yeah. QC. Yeah. But he was being instructed. Mm. Yeah. Um, it seems a, a almost a, a backhanded take um, to take, given that the BHA are the regulator and therefore have a responsibility in, you know, not totally, but have a responsibility of goings on in the weighing room. If we can go back to his rancid comment, mm -hmm. um, I do understand why so many jockeys have been inflamed by this, because in their experience, the weighing room is not a rancid place to be. Again, it's a very tense situation. They're bound to take that personally. But I think the truth is not that they are rancid people, more that the wider culture of the weighing room is rotten, in that it is a uh, closed culture, in that there are elements of self-policing which are not necessarily healthy and certainly not regulated. That's a big point in this mm. case, is that we're bringing so much of the darkness, we don't know what happens, into the light. And now it's about finding the path to go forward. But I understand why the jockeys have took objection to it, but equally just because their experience is a positive one, doesn't necessarily mean that is everyone's experience, particularly when you're a young woman. Let's talk to Tim Naylor. Uh, Tim Naylor is the Director of Regulation at the, at the British Horse Racing Authority. Tim, good morning. Morning, Nick. I, beg, I do beg your pardon. I'm sorry. I've just um, given you a different job. You're the Director of Integrity. Apologies. Um, earlier um, this week in, in evidence, your investigating officer on this case, Chris Watts, who's now, who's now left the British Horse Racing Authority, uh, conceded that he was adopting a, a victim-focused approach. Is that the right approach to take in a case like this? I think, Nick, in any case in which you have a, a brave individual coming forward, and, and Bryony Frost, of course, was incredibly courageous in bringing her complaint to the BHA and trusted in us to carry out a thorough investigation, that it's right that at all times we consider Bryony and that we consider what's best in her interests as we go through. That doesn't mean, however, that in any way the investigation is tainted one way or the other. We follow up all reasonable inquiries. 
Uh, and ultimately, it's the search for, for the truth of what's happened in, in any in incident or any investigation. And that's, that's what happened here. Um, the, the victim focus is important, actually, and I would agree with that. We need to make sure that when people come forward, they feel that they are supported and that they will be listened to and have their concerns heard. But doesn't victim-focused approach suggest that you are conducting this inquiry on behalf of the victim rather than conducting a fair inquiry, um, taking into account both sides? Not at all. It, it, it's simply uh, what it says, which is that, that we listen to our, our witnesses, our complainants as they come forward, and we ensure that they are properly supported. Um, the investigation is fair. Um, it is, has to be balanced. We have to follow up all reasonable lines of inquiry. And, and that's what's happened in, in this case. And ultimately, what happens with these investigations, as has happened over the last few weeks, is that they are put in front of an independent panel um, of the highest levels of seniority, ex-judges, solicitors, Queen's Council and administrators in racing. And, and a fair hearing takes place. And, and that's what's happened. Is this not a case, Tim, though, of, a, of you feeling, well, you've got the right result, so the working doesn't matter? Those shortcomings that were exposed within the hearing, well, they're sort of irrelevant because the BHA has got the result the BHA wanted. That's dangerous ground moving forward, though, isn't it? Your processes have got to be more robust. Well, the important thing with any investigation or case is that you learn from it. And, and, and that's right. It doesn't matter the result. We always um, reflect on our investigation, how the case was managed and run, and we will um, learn those lessons that we need to learn. In this case, um, clearly it took a long time for this matter to be brought before judicial panel. It was charged in April. Um, we need to look at that. We need to think about, well, whilst we need to balance the right of any individual to respond and to make the legal submissions, Ultimately, we need to get these things heard properly uh, and and quickly. And we will we will go away, and we will we will look at that, and we will look to see what improvements can be made. Uh, your relationship with the Professional Jockeys Association, um, well, that could be described as, as as pretty rancid at the moment. How are you going to sort that out? Well, I think it was great to hear from Paul this morning and the tone that Paul Paul set with his comments, and I I, I support Paul fully for for doing that. Um, Paul has said this morning that Bryony was bullied and that's an important first step and it's an important step to reach out to Bryony uh, and for the PGA and the BHA to learn from this experience because that's the important thing now. We've had an incredibly important case for racing. It was right that it was heard. It was right that it was heard publicly. There can't be any suggestion um, of racing hiding away from these issues, of trying to bury them under the carpet. That hasn't happened. We've met them head on. But comes with that, of course, is, is, is the tension afterwards. But we're now in a better place as a result because we can now have these important conversations. I can sit down with Paul. We can talk about what's happened and we can look to improve things going forward, not just for our jockeys in the weighing room. Because remember... Mm. This isn't just about how the jockeys interact in their weighing room, which the BHA has always said is an incredibly supportive place for the vast majority of jockeys. The problem is, of course, that in any workplace, any school, any sport, bullying, sadly, will take place. What we need to be able to do is when it happens, 
You need to be able to react, call it out and deal with it. And that's what's happened in this case and will happen going forward. Tim, I want your honest opinion here. Your QC, Louis Weston, we know now, described the weighing room culture as rancid and sour. Your chief executive said that it provides a supportive and positive experience for most riders. Is it a positive and supportive experience for most riders or is it rancid and sour? The rancid comment was made in the context of the closing submission by Louis Weston. And it was made in response to something which yourself and Peter touched upon in terms of the, the course of the case, which was perhaps a suggestion, not one that was accepted certainly by the, the PGA, um, that some of this behaviour and misconduct is part and parcel of the way and room culture. In fact, it's not, and it never has been. Aggressive, misogynistic threats and language and abuse is not acceptable in the weigh-in room, and everyone has said that. And so the was, the, was your made, QC, who you were instructing, was he wrong to say that? Do you say your QC was wrong in his summing up? What he said was, if it's acceptable to use that sort of language, then that culture is rancid. We, he didn't declare that the culture was rancid, and the BHA certainly doesn't do that. The BHA says, as I'm sure the PJA says, and the jockeys in that weighing room, on the whole, for the vast majority, it's an important, welcoming uh, and comfortable environment, which is needed in a sport like racing. It's needed with the risks involved. But occasionally, there will be times where, sadly, things like bullying takes place. The point is, is that, in fact, it's not acceptable. The panel have found that. The PGA have said that. Richard Johnson himself said in the cold light of day, that sort of misogynistic language but is unacceptable. So, in fact, the, the, the way in culture isn't rancid. But that's all very well. But I've put it to you to that your, your, your man, Louis Weston, he's working for you. He knows. He knows. He's a, he's a master of his craft. And it is a craft. He knows that using a word like that is more likely in its sort of persuasive and emotive nature to secure him the conviction that he wants on your behalf. You can't then start rowing back from that with semantics. It's, it, it's incredibly inflammatory, and you've instructed him. Uh, Nick, firstly, um, importantly to, to recognise, the BHA doesn't want a conviction. Louis Weston doesn't want a conviction. No barrister instructed on any case, be it in a sports regulatory environment or a criminal case, wants the conviction. The barrister goes in to do their job to present a case, and then he presented the case on behalf of the BHA, and that's what he did. It's a matter for the panel to decide how to establish those facts and come to the decision that they did. Louis Weston um, made a submission, and it's not semantics. It's a very important point, and it's very important, actually, that we all step back now from this sort of situation whereby tempers uh, are inflamed and this inflammatory language, because the point wasn't that the culture is rancid. The point is, if if it's acceptable for these things to go on, if it's acceptable to use that sort of language to make those threats, then yes, that would be rancid, but that's not the case. Everyone has made that very clear. The jockeys themselves have rejected that. There are things we need to learn. It is difficult. It is tough. Often, perhaps, people may look back and think, do you know what? Perhaps I should have come forward. Perhaps I should have done something. Perhaps I should have said something. That's the important point now. 
because the culture is not rancid, because we have called out that behaviour. We have said it's wrong. It's not acceptable. Senior jockeys were saying that statements that were written on their behalf during this case did not fully uh, represent their opinions. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the investigative process when you, when you read that? This does not represent my opinion. You have interviewed me. You have not fairly represented me. In any case, it's important, as I said, to go back and look at what's happened. And investigations are difficult. Um, they, they take time and there's a lot of pressure. And if mistakes have been made, if uh, that there have been aspects of statements that have not been fully recorded, well, then we need to look at that. And, and I mean, are you prepared to concede that? that there were mistakes made? I don't believe that there were mistakes made in, during the course of the investigation. There are always things that could be done better and should have been done perhaps differently. But my team work incredibly hard under difficult circumstances and did their best to inquire into a, uh, a complaint which was difficult to unravel because of its very nature. It's a sensitive subject, a sensitive topic. People don't necessarily want to come forward. And a number of brave individuals did. This was the first uh, case for the BHA. And of course, we will learn from it and we will learn our lessons. The BHA has really taken strides in recent years to look at this area of, of welfare of our individuals. We now have a very well-established and very successful safeguarding team. My investigators, my integrity team work incredibly hard and it's been tough on them as well during the course of this case and because a lot of things have been said in the media which I would say are unfair. But equally, we all as an industry now need to look back and say, well, let's, how do we do these things better? Let, let, let's look at this. And that includes the BHA and, and my teams will do that. Tim, who regulates the weighing room? Ultimately, it's the BHA. It's our responsibility. Hence why this, this last couple of weeks we've had this case. If there's an issue in the weighing room in which it crosses the regulatory lines, as it did in this case, then it's for the BHA to do that. However, clearly in that weighing room, an incredibly important part is to have a, an environment in which jockeys can engage with each other, look after each other and discuss issues between each other. And BHA will work hard with the PGA um, to make sure that continues. But if there's a code of silence, then how do you know, how do you trust that the jockeys are going to come forward if they have an issue? I would like to hope that we no longer have, if we ever did, a code of silence. Clearly, it's been difficult and clearly some people have not felt that they can come forward uh, and provide information to the BHA. We are working on that and we have been for some time. What this case has shown, however, is that people can come forward. There are ways in which people can provide anonymous information through our race-wise reporting line or directly into my teams um, at the BHA, and we will take action. Um, what I hope going forward is that, firstly, uh, we can, within the weighing room and within the rider industry, embed a culture of respect so that we don't have, uh, a, hopefully, a, a lot of these cases coming forward. But if we do that people feel comfortable to report them, and not just people who have been the, the, the victim of this sort of misconduct, but other people who have witnessed it. They I, feel I, 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 just, I, wanna, I just want to put you up on something. Uh, the, the sort of 
driving narrative, the thrust of the narrative over the last few weeks is that the waiting room's a bit like the Wild West, it's unregulated, it's unpoliced. You've just said the BHA regulates that space and regulates the operation of riders on a race course. Are you really telling me that in 2019, 20 and early 21, there was no, nobody to be seen from the BHA anywhere near those premises and, and, and your, your operatives on the race course just say, there you go, get on with it. Uh, no, Nick, I don't, I don't think I did say that. Uh, I think um, there are clearly BHA officials um, around the weighing room, uh, our stewards, our other officials, and they work incredibly hard. They have a very tough job on, on the race day. They have any number of aspects of the, the race day operations um, that are their responsibility. One area of that is, is conduct in the weighing room. And we must remember that the vast majority of times you don't have incidents like this, but, but sadly this has happened. And, and what this has shown, though, is that when it's brought to the BHA, when the BHA are aware of an issue like this, we will investigate. Uh, and if necessary, we will take action and bring it before a judicial panel. Right, let's look back on, on Cheltenham yesterday. Were you there? I wasn't, no. Um, watching from home, though, and very much enjoyed it. OK, what was your highlight? I think it's got to be called Cody, hasn't it? Um, such a, a fantastic, bold, front-running horse who has his own mind. Um, and it was that old redemption story, wasn't it, after coming down in the Paddy Power. He went on to win the Racing Post Gold Cup. He, he sort of defies convention, doesn't he? Because you think no horse who gets out there and sets that stern a tempo around Cheltenham is going to, to see this out quite as well as he does. And it made you wonder what would have happened and what sort of race he would have given Midnight Shadow had he not come down to out in the, in the Paddy Power. Well, I backed him that day and it hurt because as you can see here, he... He's going the worst of the pair here, isn't he? Yes, exactly. Um, but he has tremendous guts. And I think we'll talk about this when we review some of the other races. But Cheltenham, how often do you see a front runner go out all guns blazing, use fluent, effective jumping to tough it out up the hill? Um, and this is exactly what Cool Cody does best. It's all about that early rhythm that he gets into that means other horses can't produce the effort to go past him um, and I just think he's a fabulous horse and it's interesting isn't it how many horses become Cheltenham specialists you look at the likes of Frodon in, in Handicaps you have Village Vic a couple of years ago who won a couple um, and Cool Cody is turning into that horse this year so he's got what it takes to win those big field handicaps around Cheltenham. And he could just get into that rhythm it was as you say great redemption for for him uh, trainer Evan Williams is with us on the line now. Evan, great to have you on the show again. Another Saturday, another big winner. Yeah, morning all, morning all. Um, how's Cool Cody this morning? Yeah, he's grand. Everything is good. Everything is good. Uh, he is a, a tremendous horse, clearly wears his heart on his sleeve. I was very interested in what you were saying yesterday, that you felt very few horses would have been able to back up off a fall like that. Why so? Well, it's just that he is one of those horses that just gets on with it, really. Nick, you know, he um, doesn't worry about too much. And sometimes they're schooling after a bit of an upside down and like that in a race like the Paddy Power can just leave a bit of a mental scar. But he's just not that type of character. He's very, just a very tough horse, you know. And he, he, is, he has gone from being a, 
you know, a nice horse, a useful horse, a good horse, to now a, a very, very smart horse. Did you ever think that was really possible? Well, not really. I mean, you don't think of it like that. Next year, you just you tip, tip away quietly and hope they go the right way. And, you know, when they start going the right way, you just hope that you can get a nice prize along the way. So you, you never know. Jeepers, creepers, they're all different. And some go forward. Most of them go backwards. Um, and, and you've just got to enjoy the ones that do go forward. So to what extent, then, do you think it just is, in his case, all about his mentality? Well, I would say that it's probably a lot to do with all horses' mentality, really, Nick. You know, I mean, I would say the mental side of the job is what gets horses, trainers and jockeys and journalists, doesn't it? That's what, <laughs> that's what gets us all in the end, is, is the mental torment. Yeah, and the and the, uh, and the ability to to sort of maintain that that mental strength in the face of all sorts of all sorts of challenges, I suppose. Um, the the interesting thing I thought about yesterday was that he appeared to be going worse than Midnight Shadow coming to two out, as indeed he had done in the Paddy Power. Did yesterday make you think differently about what would have happened last month? Uh, listen, Nick, it's very. I'm not a great one for. I don't like excuses and making excuses. What happened that. in the Paddy Power happened in the Paddy Power. And I genuinely am not somebody who would even, you know, um, think, oh, what if? I, I, don't, I don't do what ifs in horse racing. The, the, the horse that passes the post in first is the one that deserves all of the credit, not the horses that fell or finished second or third. So, look, what happened in the Paddy Power happened in the Paddy Power. But when I went through the race, I said on Teddy, yeah, I mean, Sue and Harvey are just, you know, some people in life you just look up to, and, and I will always look up, up to Sue and Harvey. But I knew I'd beat them yesterday, if that makes sense. I knew if we turned in together, I knew I'd beat them yesterday on the revised terms, and, um, and, 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 and that was thankfully what happened. So you win a huge handicap, you, you win it well, and the horse is, is still moving forward. Does it leave you with a head-scratcher as to what to do with him now? No, we've known a head scratcher. The horse has won a Paddy Power and he won that lovely race yesterday. As far as we're concerned, if he never wins another race, Nick, we, we, we're very happy with what our fella has done. Um, I mean, he'll have to run in, obviously, very good races, either carrying a lot more weight or taking on, um, you know, the, the very, very best. And it'll be very difficult for a horse of his age. He's, he's at 11 in a couple of weeks' time. Um, I can't imagine that he's improving. It's just that he's in that great little slot that some of these horses get in life where they're in that bit of a purple patch. And um, I can guarantee one thing. If he never wins another race, he'll always hold a very, very special place in our hearts. Without any doubt. Um, Evan, thanks so much for talking to me. Cheers. Thanks, all. Evan Williams uh, on Cool Cody, who won the Racing Post Gold Cup. Yes, I do hope your firm sponsors this race for a few years now i mean don't forget it nick don't be messing up that name you know it's actually but i think it's i think it, it you know the, the racing post chase went at kemp's and the racing post trophy went at doncaster i think you know you you're the organ of the sport to have a an attachment to a a key race you know for a long period of time is is good news all around i agree and i think what cool cody did yesterday exemplified jump racing and what better way to advertise it give you a decent excuse for an office party every year won't it oh yeah or well, we can get a nice little cushy box at Cheltenham that'll do as well might need a might need a biggish one to get <laughs> your lot in yeah well okay well just an idea anyway <laughs> I've sown that I've sown the seed
Right. The International Hurdle was the other feature race on yesterday's card. It was a grade two. It's fair to say this race lacks the luster it once had. Yeah, I don't want to bang on about it, but it would be nice if dear old Bueller had his name back in the title. But there you go. That's one for the fossils. This is one for the now and a great performance from um, Guard Your Dreams. Yes, and he beat Cool Cody in a handicap hurdle at the showcase meeting. So that Knowledge. form has worked out exceptionally well, hasn't it? Um, not a, a vintage renewal, um, but for me, I, I really enjoyed this performance because, again, it was all about the horse's attitude. And I found Sam's interview afterwards quite entertaining, talking about his father. Well, we are going to hear from Sam in just a few moments' time because um, he, he gave a, a very entertaining interview to, to Luke on ITV and then he, he repeated it with yet more gusto uh, with Lydia. This is the closing stages and it was a, it was a strong ride from Sam. I, song for someone, he's sort of, he sort of should have won this race, really. He didn't seem to show much zest on the way round. He tends to do that, doesn't he? He well, can nowadays get he out does, paced. yeah. Yeah. Um, but what an effort, though, to come back from that far back in, in a race like this. And good old Hunter's Call as well. He loves going fresh, doesn't he? Um, Travelled like the winner, but um, it was Sam's drive that got him up the Cheltenham Hill. Great to see the Twist and Davis team back in form as they had a few quiet Agreed. seasons, didn't they? And well, Nigel would re reject that suggestion, obviously. I said he? that to him yeah. the other day. He said, I, I, think, I think we had quite a good year last year, actually. And uh, I, I pointed out to him, he's tried a lot more winners this year at a high strike yeah. rate. Feels like home, doesn't it? The Twist and Davis is yeah. coming up the hill at Cheltenham. Yeah, Nigel, do you, do you think the 66 to 1 shot will, will, will run well? well? I think you'll win. <laughs> I think you'll win. This is what Sam said to Lydia. Guardia Dreams has just won the Grade 2 Unibet International Hurdle. Sam Tristan Davis was on board. He is gritty, isn't he? It's tough. And, um, well, same for the trainer, actually. Um, the screaming matches we had over this horse, because. Um, as you know, Dad, he's never afraid of a challenge, but I thought the kind of the rail keel back here, 1st of January, is the perfect race for him. I thought a lot would come here, a lot would go to Ascot for the long walk, and that would just be left quite a, a week, well, not a week race, never a week, is it, but one that would suit him. So the, all the Fs and the blinding words are all coming out, and he insisted we came here. And it's just genius. <laughs> Honestly, I can't describe it. Well, he's got, got big balls of true fit, but hence why he's got so many kids. So. <laughs> I use that for the second time today. I'm pleased you haven't told me off yet. You've thrown me for my next question. That, that's a well done. Um, but talk me through the race and how you were feeling on um, it. We're smooth, uh, jumped out sharp just to get a good start. Dad was quite adamant to go out and, and have a really good go. And if it meant we lost out in the placings for trying to win it, then it was, it was, it was what he wanted to try and do, was be forceful everywhere. Jump brilliant, wanted to keep down the middle, just not because it was better, but it was just fresher, and I thought that would help. And jumped two out nicely and then thought Sean Bowen had me then managed mm. to get him back and then it was Aidan the other side and just a terribly gritty performance it really was the next question will be where do we go next but well, I don't have a clue well, you'll have to ask him it'll be both yeah, well, that's <laughs> it I bet you he's already entered I can tell you that for free because I robbed his, his Weatherby's code and password to do it so <laughs> hopefully the mother, money hasn't come out yet <laughs> well knowing, knowing Nigel it will be yeah, both probably come back here. Yeah, why not <laughs> it would be soft if he didn't come <laughs> congratulations son. thank you very much well done We've been hearing all about Nigel Twitter-Davis from his son Sam just now after Garda Dream's victory in the Grade 2 Unibet International Hurdle. He's been telling us quite colourfully that you and he were at loggerheads about whether or not to run here and he had to concede you were right. Yes, well, we have lots of discussions about everything. Um, 
my, my plan today was was there's big prize money. Like we, we've been second in two graded novice chases. If we were second here today, it's, it's decent money, mm. and, and the whole thing is getting this money. Anyway, we were lucky enough to win this one. And he's so gritty, this horse. He is. Yeah, he's a lovely, lovely horse. Um, and let's hope he keeps improving. And uh, at the beginning of the season, he jumps fences for fun. Um, we were thought we might go, but he's only five, so let's keep at this and fences next season. Oh, he's got a long career ahead of him now. The, the argument was between here and the Rail Keel. Is mm-hmm. it going to be both? Back to the Rail Keel? There's <laughs> always a possibility. <laughs> we'll probably wait till um, the Champion Hurdle trial at Haydock. Right, OK. OK. Uh, you that surprised me. I thought you'd definitely go for the Rail Keel as well. <laughs> no. Why not all three? <laughs> Why not all three? We've got to look after him. He's a proper horse. Of course he is, and he's got a great future ahead of him. Many, mm. many congratulations, Nigel. Well done. Good decision. Thanks very much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Now, a new book that has been published called Champion details in quite some depth the incredible talent, drive and focused ambition that saw Pat Smullen become one of the leading riders of, of his generation and also one of the most popular figures uh, in the weighing room anywhere in the world. It's been a year since we lost Pat Smullen to pancreatic cancer and now a book that he penned champion his memoir completed by his wife Frances is available to, to, to us to, to read and it's an extremely uh, moving and inspiring account and I'm pleased to say that Frances is with me now. Morning Frances. Good morning Nick, good, good uh, to hear, be here. Um, it, it's great to have you with us. Um, just tell me a little bit about how um, this book started, how the idea of the memoir started with, with Pat and with you. Uh, well, I think it was Bruff Scott that uh, approached Pat first. And um, Pat was a little bit uh, like, you know, who'd be interested in reading about me? You know, I'm too boring and all that. And uh, but uh, he was persuaded. I, I helped persuade him a little bit. And uh, so Don McLean came on board and the two of them worked together then from there on. So they were at it for about a, a year before he died, I think. Very difficult for him at the time, I'm sure. But to an extent, did it did it help him through those final months of his life? Yeah, I mean, actually, it, it wasn't really difficult for him. It, it was really therapeutic for him, I think. He got to basically relive his whole life with Don talking through all the good times. And I'm sure maybe a few not so good times. But in general, it was a really positive experience for him. He was a, an incredibly driven rider and I'm sure he was fully aware of his own riding ability but what what came through quite strongly for me was he took a bit of persuading to to know what a a different and special human being he was yeah well you know he was very humble I think that was really part of his character and also he lacked confidence a little bit I think that was that also shone true in the book um and uh, but, you know, I suppose as the years went on and he became more confident in himself, he did uh, he did appreciate that he was, you know, such a good rider. And yeah, as you said, uh, the, his personality and the book, what a good person he was shone through as well. Yeah, absolutely. And that co- that kind of combination of of real steel that you need to succeed in this game and just that that softer side as well. It's, it's, a, it's a very rare, very rare combination of, of qualities, isn't it? Yeah, and um, 
I mean, I suppose we didn't really see the softer side of him really until he got sick, I suppose, because he was he was one of the toughest people I know. And, um, you know, he put himself through so much, as most jockeys do. Um, you, you know, you do need to be made of absolute steel to, to, to get through what they all do on a daily basis. And, um, uh, you know, I was always full of admiration for him because, you know, I would see him hail, rain or shine, but no matter how he felt, he'd be out of that bed and he never, ever missed a day, ever. It also the also charts sort of right from the very early days of when you first met and uh, and your relationship. It's clear and and very obvious that right from day one there was something in him, there was something in him that you massively admired. You know, he was somebody who wasn't from a particularly horsey background. You obviously were someone who were was steeped in the game. Just just tell us what what was it. Um, what was it in past that I saw? Well, yeah, I mean, he just, just, he was so driven, so consumed by his career. Um, you, you know, I suppose maybe people might, might not find that an attractive quality in someone generally, but, um, I think that was the kind of thing that I was used to, uh, really growing up, I suppose. And, I, you know, I think I think I just liked all his qualities, you know, and his honesty. Uh, he um, had great integrity. They were all things that I really liked about him as well, you know. So, um, you know, so when I got to know him in Dubai, you know, all these things started shining through from an early age. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't have professed to know Pat really well, but in our in our several like professional dealings, I there was a certain kind of intensity to him that I always really appreciated. So if you were talking with him, you felt that you had his complete and full attention, no matter no matter who you were. Yeah, and, and he was he was uh, always a kind a person that if you asked him a question, he didn't kind of fob you off with a, you know, a standard answer. You could always tell he was thinking about what he wanted to say and he was thinking about your question and and you always got a you always got a little nugget of information from him and I think that's what trainers loved him about, about him as well when when he came in um on a horse uh, whether he won or was beaten he always was able to tell the trainer and the owners um you know some really good bit of information and in general everybody went off happy even if he finished last when Pat lost his life, Francis, and you had this, you had this manuscript nearly complete. What were you thinking? What were you thinking of doing with it at that point? Did you know that you wanted to publish it? Was it something that was just too raw at the time? Um, well, I, 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 I said to Don that I that I felt I needed to write uh, to write down what had happened. And he was also struggling a little bit with how to finish the book. So I said, look, I'll write this down. You can have a look and see what you think. You can see if if you want to include it. If it's absolute rubbish, just please tell me. So so I sent it to Don anyway. And uh, and he he um, he was happy to 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 use it as the end of the book. And um uh, I just want to say that Don put a huge amount of work into the book and all I'm hearing from everybody is that they can hear Pat in the book. It's like as if he's sitting beside you when you're reading it and that's all down to Don. He did a fabulous job. 
how special is is that for you to have that to have what he wrote his 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 final thoughts almost and the way he looked at you and and your children and yeah the way in which he he dealt with his illness how important is is that for you and your family it's hugely important nick and that's one of the reasons i really pushed him to do the book I always said to him, if the worst happened, that it would be a brilliant thing for us to have. We never thought the worst would happen. But, um, you know, I think particularly for the kids, their memories are going to fade more than mine, I think. And I think to be able to pick up that book and read it in, in years to come is, is just brilliant for them. When you when you look at your, your children now, um, Francis, what what in them do you see of, of Pat? Well, I see little bits of him in all of them, you know. Um, Hannah has his um, focus and determination and uh, his kind of seriousness in, uh, in ways. Paddy has his gentleness and then Sarah has kind of his uh, fun side and also kind of his uh, aggressiveness when, when she's riding. I, I see that. And Paddy has kind of the, the soft touch and the, 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 the good hands, you know. And as I said, Hannah is just really, really determined. And, uh, you know, she kind of, nothing, nothing can beat her. That's, that's what she has from him, I think. His loss was, was so keenly felt um, by all of the international racing community, but no one really can, can truly feel what you feel. Um, just... Just tell me a little about the last last few months for you, Francis. I, d- I don't see in you self-pity. I see a lot of joy in what you experienced with Pat. Yeah, well, look, I mean, obviously, uh, we are still heartbroken. We'll al- we always will be. Um, but ultimately, I mean, I was very lucky to have him. Some people will never get to experience, uh, you know, what I had with Pat. So I- I'm really grateful for that. Um the last year has been tough, particularly almost the last few months in a way with the anniversary, um, our wedding anniversary. I think these things after a year, I think it brings home the permanence of the situation. For the first year, you're almost in a bit of a daze. And then these things hit you that this isn't going to change. Um so, yeah, but we keep really busy and I'm really lucky. I have a lovely farm that Pat built up and um, I have mares that are going to foal and, and I look forward to that and I look forward to the kids competing during summer and I look forward to Hannah uh, graduating from college and think these things, you know, little things that, that you just look forward to uh, not too far in the future, but, but that's what keeps you going. And I'm guessing also that that you're kept going. You feel that you feel that guiding presence. Absolutely, yeah. He's he's with us. Um, I mean, I can't explain the the things we felt. You know, quite soon after he died, we had like we had amazing experiences where we just felt he was he was there. You know, it felt like he was answering our questions when we were asking him if he was okay. And um, yeah. Uh, I hope that that my chapter doesn't freak people out too much, but that they're the things that, that we experience and, and I really want to just write them down. Francis, thank you so much for for talking to me this morning. And um, I I can only urge everybody to 
to read Champion and uh, I echo your thoughts about all the work that that Don McLean put into this as well. But um, to you and, and to your much missed late husband, Pat, thank you so much. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Francis Crowley. And there it is, Champion Pat Smullen with Don McLean, um, a memoir.